midwife calling. Welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat, not that kind of doctor. And this week we are talking about the first episode of the fourth season of Call the Midwife. It's been a long time between seasons. Yes, I'm excited to get into season four. Very excited. Me too. Uh, I forgot to mention this is a spoiler-free podcast where we just talk about each individual episode as we go. Which is getting more difficult, I must say. (laughs) (laughs) To speak without spoilers? Yes. This episode was directed by Thaddeus O'Sullivan and written by Heidi Thomas. We saw both of them in the previous episode, in the Christmas special. Thaddeus O'Sullivan uh, directed that. This is his last episode of Call the Midwife. I mean, so far. Um, Heidi Thomas, of course, created the show. Uh, and has written many an individual episode. Before we get into the recap, uh, we were talking about something before we started recording that we have done a few podcasts in the past, but we're finding it like we have to take breaks in between the seasons or like only record one episode a week because, man, Call the Midwife is heavy. It is emotionally taxing. I don't know, this isn't really an apology, because I don't think we need to apologize, but that's kind of why our schedule is a bit slower than we anticipated when we first started doing this podcast. Yeah, we can't, in previous TV shows we've recapped, or kids' movies, like, we could do one a week with no problem, we could do two a week if we had the time for it, it was just the, like, time to record, I could have recorded, you know, three or four uh, on our podcast about Legion, Mm -hmm. I could have recorded three or four episodes a day. Call the midwife is like, I need some recovery time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I can't even watch more than one a week without like, whew, yeah. okay, okay. This episode in particular is quite heavy. So if you haven't watched it yet, just know that like, we know it's it's a heavy, heavy thing. So why don't you tell us about it, Jen? Let's get into it. So we still have mature Jenny doing the introductions. She talks about the miracle of birth to each of the midwives. Trixie gets a ride with a milkman to the birth in the backseat of a car. The nuns get ready for a new midwife to arrive. Over breakfast, Chummy reveals that she is acting matron of the mother-baby home. And Peter will be staying at Nanatus while on night shifts. Sister Monica Joan cleans the stairs and is confused about their new arrival. The new midwife, Barbara, arrives with the typical difficult reception from Sister Monica Joan. (laughs) Dogs get into her suitcase and Sister Monica Joan drives them off with a bucket of water. A young boy, Gary, brings his sister, Coral, to the clinic and picks up some rosehip syrup. Sheila teaches a class about how to use formula and gets into a debate about breast is best with Colette, a mom who has lost three of her babies. Later, Sheila and Dr. Turner talk about the anxious mother and Timothy pipes in with medical knowledge. Gary gathers wood, and his mom walks by, leaving him alone for the night, promising fish cakes. Gary comes home to an empty house and feeds the baby rosehip syrup. So one of the things, like in the Christmas special, we talked about this, uh, and here I think it's worth talking about again, that we start with mature Jenny narration, Mm -hmm. and this is like... 
This is the first regular season episode without any Jenny. This is the like new status quo of what this series is going to be. And the Christmas special had this like flash to the future. Here we're just like establishing Jenny's still going to do uh narrating in and out even if she's not there. Mm-hmm. Um what do you think about that? Um I was surprised like back when I very first watched this, you know, however many years ago, I was surprised that they kept that going, but I like it and I think that it just it there is the niceness of the narrative at the beginning and the end that sums things up or helps us prepare for what's going to happen in the episode. And I'm glad they didn't try and get someone else to do it. I think no. that uh, having Vanessa Redgrave as Mature Jenny just has that touch tone of this is based on a real story. This is based on uh, Jenny Worth's memoirs. And at this point, it's more, in it, as it goes on, it's more inspired by rather than based on. But it just still gives that touch tone of reality to it. Do you yeah. Agree? Basically, I agree. I think we see... In this episode, no spoilers, but we see what's going to be a tendency, which is the narration gets more abstract. Mm-hmm. So when Jenny is there, she's reflecting on her experiences. Now she's started like reflecting on the ideas in the abstract. And yeah. some episodes that works better than others. Yes, that's true. Um, so what do you think? She starts off by kind of thinking about when a child is born, the world is altered and we look back and yes, this is the moment. Hmm. What does that set up for us in terms of like what this episode is? And this is a without spoilers. We say this sometimes. This is a without spoilers podcast, but we've seen the episode. So we know what the episode is going to be about. Mm -hmm. Do you think it sets up the themes of the episode? What does it say the themes of the episodes are? I'm not sure. I think... (sighs) Possibly it ta- it is saying, like, a child changes the world, and we see with Gary and his sisters that they the mother can't deny that they're there and has to still take care of them, even though she clearly doesn't want to, and it all ends really horribly. Uh, the child still exists, mm-hmm. and its very existence is, I don't know, important. What do you think? This is like an episode about change as Mm. much as it is about other things. And it's like, that's kind of what's connecting the different plots. We talked briefly before we started recording about like the uh, Gary and his sisters is a very emotionally heavy plot. And the other uh, B and C plots, it's hard to, for me anyway, it's hard to give them a lot of mental attention because Mm -hmm. they just don't have the weight of the four kids. Yeah. But what those plots have to do with each other is, like, the show acknowledging outside the story, like, from a show-making perspective, things have changed. Mm. Barbara comes, the, like, whole story, like, everything is about, like, things aren't the same. And sometimes that's good, and sometimes that's bad, and sometimes it's a mix, but, like, this is an episode about change and coping with change, Mm -hmm. I think. That's very true. That's very true. So speaking of change, we meet Barbara. We meet Barbara. So I'm excited because, I mean, she's a new midwife. She is, uh, she's filling a Jenny, Jenny-sized hole, uh, <laughs> which is, uh, 
there's a little bit of she's exactly like Jenny, but she has her own differences and her own beginning. And I think that uh, her meeting with Sister Monica Joan is has the similarities to Jenny's meeting with Sister Monica Joan, but I feel like Barbara's a little more uh, confident in herself and knows where she is. Or like, I don't know if confident is exactly the word. She, she is, like, she's clearly, like... <laughs> Filling in for Jenny. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think, like, there's choices when you're a TV show replacing a major character. There's choices of, like, do you make them the same? Fill that cookie cut cutter spot? Or do you make them, like, really distinguished? Mm -hmm. I remember once talking about uh, MASH, which I watched in uh, reruns as a kid. And it's saying that... uh, uh, Frank Burns is just like Charles Winchester and my mom being like, no, they're the opposite. And I just meant like, they're both bald and kind of uh, <laughs> like, they're both bald and have big noses. Um, but their personalities and like roles were opposite because one is like all military and sucks as a doctor and the other is all doctor and doesn't care about the military and mm. is snooty. And there's a bit of like, Barbara is... Uh, brown-haired ingenue uh new to this world but she's like jenny in the first season especially jenny seemed kind always kind of like and even all throughout like her monologue was all warmth and connection but the the, her affect was like kind of taken aback Mm -hmm. and uh barbara seems so wide-eyed and like even naive in a way that I don't feel like Jenny was sometimes Jenny didn't know what she was getting into, but she wasn't like Barbara feels in this episode, like someone you could uh, con easily. Yes. Jenny did not seem like a mark. Yeah. I think (laughs) to me anyway, I think that the difference I see is in the relationship to the nuns where Barbara is coming into this knowing that she's working with nuns and being aware of that aspect of it, where Jenny was really innocent on that half. But Barbara is coming into it with lots of life innocence. She's a very inexperienced person, whereas Jenny came with this heaviness of like the things she had done and the secrets she had kept and yada yada. Exactly. Jenny's running from a dark (laughs) past past of of her mistakes and Barbara is like, her father was a clergyman and she uh, gets immediately drunk and hungry. We haven't got to that part. But like, that symbolizes that she's you know, naive and new to the world. And even the, like, the dog steals her underwear. Yeah. Is, like, she's literally exposed because she is, li- or not, she's not exposed, but her private things are exposed because she doesn't know how to protect herself from the world that she's in because she's naive and, like, in unprepared in, like, yeah, a personal way. Mm-hmm. I immediately like Barbara. Yes. It's one of the things, like, that, uh, one of the classic storytelling techniques, how do you make an audience like a character is by vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So having Barbara drop her bag and all her stuff be stolen and Monica Jones slamming the door in her face makes us like her or uh, makes me, but also like uh, in terms of narratology makes us more, much more sympathetic to her than if she was immediately hyper-competent. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Although having said that Patsy came in hyper-competent and I liked her. So it's true. <laughs> The thing about, like, 
I don't know what more there is to say about Mm -hmm. dropping her bag and a dog's taking her clothes. Yes. (laughs) Like, oh, and then, yeah, she's just trying her best. She is, yeah. (laughs) It's, I mean, so we have basically the three plots. One is Barbara arriving, one is Gary, and one is uh, Colette, this mom. So let's talk about her briefly before we get into the main plot. Which is, Sheila is teaching how to use formula because she has adopted her daughter and therefore is using formula. Mm-hmm. And this is an era in the world where formula was becoming more and more uh, readily available. It was cheaper than it ever had been before. And so there was an availability to which it, there hadn't been in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course it involved, it's important to have cleanliness with that. And Colette Wimbish has heard, has read Dr. Spock mm-hmm. and uh, is convinced that formula is bad. Yeah. Um, this is still very, like, this is controversial in the moment, in the room. This is one of these moments, sometimes I feel like on Call the Midwife, they take modern controversies, put them backwards, and our characters are the modern perspective and are, like, much more uh, 20... And 21st century first century sensibilities um in this case this is a debate that's it hasn't i think changed yeah it, and it is swung the pendulum has swung so widely between breast and formula and the judgment on either side of the camp has swung so wildly uh i don't want to get too much into it to be honest in our in our episode because it's not we're not about that but it just to say that like it's your baby needs to be fed. Feed them the best you can. Yeah, I we won't get into it if you don't want to get into it at all. Um, I just want to like, I've so recently heard an episode of the very excellent podcast Maintenance Phase yes. where they were talking about formula, about protein, and then about formula in Africa. Mm-hmm. And I'll let, if you're interested in that, go seek that out and they'll have lots to say that's very interesting. Exactly, exactly. Before we move, you said, like, let's move on to the main plot, but there's a kind of minor uh, incident, as there often is, the, like, first birth of the episode isn't really connected to the rest of the plot, and it's Trixie in the milk, Trixie being delivered by the milkman and Mm -hmm. delivering a baby in the back of a car. Right. Um, Sister Evangelina is mad about it because she thinks that it's because women are being encouraged to deliver in hospital. Yeah. And if they wouldn't try to deliver in hospital, we wouldn't be delivering babies in the backs of cars and there's only going to be more of it. And Sister Evangelina and her very, like, yeah. uh, I, I love it. Yes, um, exactly. The other, the two other things about this little moment is that <laughs> Sarah is giving birth, the, the woman is giving birth in the back of a car and Trixie is... Uh, Help is delivering the baby, and uh, she says, turn down that song. You don't want to think about this every time you think about Elvis. And the Elvis song that's playing is, it's now or never. (laughs) Which is just like, (laughs) I thought, a great little background detail of like, what song do you play while giving birth? How about it's now or never? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's lovely. Yep. Um... So back to the the main plot is not so much about breastfeeding, which is why I don't want to get too much into that debate. It's more about Colette, who is anxious. Who yes. Has, since she has lost three babies, she is extremely anxious, which, fair enough. And 
I loved when they went to Sheila and Dr. Turner talking about her and Timothy just like, I read something about <laughs> breast milk can help with immunities. And they're like, and where did you get this knowledge from, like, 12-year-old Timothy? <laughs> I read The Lancet, which yeah. is the medical journal the medical that journal. Dr. Turner <laughs> yep. reads. That's like, just lying around the house, and so I read these things. <laughs> it's really great. I really love... Uh, Timothy, like, I like Timothy in general, but my favorite flavor of Timothy is, like, precocious Timothy. Precocious and kind of, like, back-talky. Back smart yeah. <laughs> smart, smart mouth Timmy. <laughs> Timothy is, like, the best. There's also a relatability to both you and I that uh, we were both such strong readers that anything lying around the house that's readable, you're going to read it. And so, like, the idea of there's a medical journal on the table while I'm having my cereal in the morning, well, I'm going to take a look at that. I totally... I mean, both you and I read the encyclopedias at home. If there's something to read as a reader, you read it. And that is clearly the kind of kid that Timothy is. Yep. All right, let's get to Gary. Let's get to Gary. Oof, so in the little part that I've explained here, that I've recapped here, it's just Gary brings his sister, his baby sister Coral, to the clinic. Uh, Trixie sees them, gives them, offers them this rose hip syrup that they're trying to give away to get help with vitamins. And before she can do anything with them, they disappear again. And... That causes concern. Trixie recognizes right away that they're not in a good situation. Well, and the baby has a uh, rash. Impetigo, yeah. What is it? Impetigo. Impetigo. Which basically Which rash. means, like, I, lo- I looked it up and then I couldn't remember it because mm-hmm. I'm not that kind of doctor. But uh, it's like a rash. Yeah. A common rash in infants that, like, is sorted out with antibiotics. Mm-hmm. It's not hard to fix, but it's not being fixed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And um, we see Gary just, you know, trying to trying to be the man of the house or whatever. He's gathering wood and he's mm-hmm. taking care of this infant when he's like 10. Yeah. He's quite young. I don't even know if he is 10. I don't know how old the actor young. is. They may have. Chosen yeah. a small actor, but the character's gotta be, like, ten or less. He's yeah. not old. And his mother, dressed immediately in a recognizable, like, she's going out to... She's a prostitute, likely. Yeah. Or a sex worker, I should say. Yeah, I mean, uh, very likely. Very likely. And makes promises that clearly he is used to her not keeping. Mm-hmm. And that sets up this whole thing with him. Sister Julienne shows Barbara to her rooms and she finds a note inviting her to a party with alcohol with Trixie and Patsy. They dance and discuss Tom while Barbara gets drunk and ill. In the morning, Barbara is too ill to work her first day. In a sequence, Trixie tries to track down Gary, but is unsuccessful. Barbara struggles to find her feet, and Trixie and Tom meet and chat about Gary, both of them worried. Meanwhile, he finds the key is missing and can't get into the apartment, so he can't get in to help his sisters. He uses the milk tokens he got from Trixie to get milk and then pours it through the mail slot to his sisters. Sister Julienne talks with Sister Evangelina about her health, which makes Sister Evangelina very upset. Colette arrives at the maternity home. 
in labor and is put on bed rest. She rests with the help of Barbara, but does end up going fully into labor and delivers early. But the baby girl survives, thanks to Dr. Turner, Sister Evangelina, and Barbara. So let's talk about Barbara first. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Like The note on Barbara's pillow, and then she goes to see Trixie and Patsy, and I love the like, are you sure this is allowed? Well, says Trixie, I'm allowing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wonderful. It's, yeah, wonderful is right. <laughs> I really love it. And then naive, poor naive Barbara mm-hmm. is Bianco alcoholic. Do you know what Bianco no. is? It's like, Trixie says it's a fortified wine and that's true. Mm-hmm. So it's like 15% alcohol. Yeah. So like, you know... It's not uh, whiskey, but it's, <laughs> but it's alcoholic. Strong. Yeah. <laughs> like, she has a big gulp of it, and like, ooh, ooh, and Trixie, like, smirks to herself. Like, ooh. Trixie knows that she's getting Barbara drunk. Yeah. Uh, but I'm like, a little disappointed in Patsy and Trixie at this point because of how, like, come on, guys, it's her first day. I I just don't have a whole lot of respect for people who throw new people to the wolves. I think that's a bit much, and I'm annoyed with them this, in this instance. They make excuses for it. I think that they, uh, I think we can, like, they don't expect her to be quite as naive around alcohol as she is, although they yeah. should have when she asks whether it's alcoholic. Yeah. But they're like... They make excuses for her that are accepted for that's, her hangover the next that's day. That's very true. They don't... Like, they cover for her, her successfully. Yes, that's very true. Uh, so, like, she doesn't get in any trouble. She doesn't mess up her work. She mm. just, like, feels sick the next day because she's hungover on her first real day of work. <laughs> I feel like it's an understandable... Uh, <laughs> things have gone a little bit awry. Yes, that's true. <laughs> they should have known better, but... yeah. Also, maybe they shouldn't. She's a big girl and can decide for herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she, we have this like uh, montage of Barbara doing stuff. On one hand, compa- in comparison to Chummy, Barbara knows her way around a bicycle. Mm-hmm. She biked here in the first place. Yeah, and like, there's a little bit of like things fall out of her basket, but I feel it like they milk it for a little bit of physical comedy, not yeah. very successfully. Yeah. Uh, and then she drops all the sterilized instruments and we see, like, she's not an experienced midwife. Mm-hmm. And we see the, like, moment again that we've seen before every time a new midwife comes that Sister Evangelina is annoyed with her for not already being an experienced midwife. She's supposed to be trained when she comes! Yep, exactly. And <laughs> Julianne's like, she is trained. She's just not experienced. <laughs> so that's all. Like, the whole thing. Barbara's finding her feet. Yeah. Um, that brings us into, though, uh, Sister Evangelina. Mm-hmm. Who we mentioned in the last episode, she was, like, holding her back and not fully well. And so this is Sister Julianne calling her out on it. There's a moment a little bit, like, in this section, there's a moment where the milk of magnesia is empty, and it's like, what? And I, watching it, couldn't remember, and I have in my notes, like, what does the milk of magnesia mean? And then, like, five seconds later, it's explained that Mm -hmm. she's 
Uh, she's the one who's drinking it. Drinking all the milk of magnesia because something's wrong with her. She's mm-hmm. a, she's in pain and upset. And we saw very early when Sister Monica Jones looking for cake. Uh, Sister Evangelina is like eating big bowls of olive bran. Mm. Which is also like she has digestion problems. Yeah. She's, uh, <laughs> Sister Julienne tells her to go see a doctor and she gets all mad. Yep. Gillette, like, I like that because it feels very realistic that people in the health industry aren't always like, yay, I'll go to the doctor too. They think, I can take care of myself. I take care of everybody else. I can take care of myself. I know how to handle this. I know how to drink a bunch of milk and magnesia. It's right there. When, yeah. like, no, you actually do need to go see a doctor. Like, it's very uh, true to what we know of Sister Evangelina's character. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Do you want to say anything about Colette Wimbish? Like, it feels to me like in this section, she's worried about premature labor uh, for good happens. reason. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about it. Do you have anything? It's, I mean, it's a chance for Barbara to show some competence and learn and see firsthand uh, this birth and help out with it. I think that uh, this is the turning point for both Barbara and Sister Evangelina and Barbara's relationship, which is good. Yeah. And yeah, Colette's just kind of like our rubber stamp laboring mother that we have in every episode i don't feel like she's super interesting no aside from a a something for barbara to do like the interest that there is for colette happens after the birth is all about like breast milk and formula Mm. yeah which is like not huge interest but that's where the interest is that like she wants to we haven't gotten to it yet she wants Mm -hmm. to feed the baby on breast milk even though she's not physically with yeah her exactly and they have to work out how that can happen. Yep. So Gary, we see him using uh, milk tokens to get milk. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw earlier Trixie asking like a milkman if she knew anything about him, where he lived, or if anyone lived in this place. It was very like milkmen know what's going on, but don't. But if they don't have milk, then he doesn't know. Yeah, he's like, well, I never ordered milk in any case. Yep. Is it, um, do you want to, like, I don't know if I have anything actually to say about it, but do you want to stop for a moment on the, like, through line of the milkman in this episode? <laughs> I like it. I think it's a good narrative structure. I don't think it has any, like, strong significance other than, like, that's good writing to have a milkman that appears three times and so you get a sense of... He's in the neighborhood. He's in the neighborhood. Doing yeah. all, like... Doing all kinds of plot things, yep. but he's just a character. These are the people in your neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's also, uh, there are structures in place to help people out, like Gary mm-hmm. and his sisters and his mother, where they can get milk tokens and there can be a milkman who delivers milk to them. Mm-hmm. But they're not taking advantage of those things because they don't either know about them or are too uh, humiliated or all sorts of things. But... I think the milkman being all through this episode does show that there are structures in place to help, mm-hmm. but the mother is not taking advantage of them and may not know about them. Mm-hmm. And the moment of Gary pouring that milk oh. 
Oh, through the milk slot to his sisters, and it's like so half of it is poured half, on the ground. Half of it is poured on the ground. It's so dirty. The cups they're using is dirty. These children are just filthy, absolutely filthy. And you know, breast is best, formula is best. This baby is getting neither. This yeah. baby is. They're maybe able to give this baby something from a cup. These two sisters, but I don't think so. They're pretty young. Like he just gave her rose rose hip syrup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just very upsetting. It is really rough. The we see, like, I want to talk for a moment because it's something that uh, Trixie fixates on. Uh, Gary's like demeanor. Like, when he talks to the milkman, it really stands out that, like, he's... I think this actor, this little actor, does very, very well in these moments of, like, everything's cool and fine. Mm -hmm. And, like, things are clearly not fine. Yeah. He's like, what's a lark? It's a bird. They have them in London? Maybe in a park. Lark in a park, eh? And, like... Yeah. He's so nonchalant. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Not... In a very, uh, the actor is selling it, but the character's not quite selling it. Yes, exactly. Um, and he's like that in the in the clinic earlier too. Mm-hmm. Like he's very uh, talks to Trixie, very clever and precocious, and like yeah. m- matter of fact, even uh, and. Trixie, that's one of the things that we haven't got to Trixie's speech about it, but that's mm-hmm. one of the things that Trixie really uh, fixates on, what, that really yeah. draws her to him. Mm-hmm. Is that he's covering something up. He's acting happy because that's the only way he can cope. It's also, in this scene, we in this section, we realize, like, at, I thought at first... Uh, Except I didn't because I've seen the whole episode before. But uh, there's uh, Gary and Coral. There's two kids. Mm-hmm. And then he's calling through the thing to Marcy. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, are are there three? Marcy, mm-hmm. I'm going to be there. The baby's crying. Marcy's crying. And then he comes in and like Jackie. And you're like, how many kids? Yeah, he I'm pours there. the milk to Jackie. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many kids are in here? Yeah, exactly. And four. But it, it's like... Mm-hmm. We we see a new sister one by one in this way yeah. that, like, by the time we see Jackie, it's like, jeez, yeah. how many kids, how many kids are, are locked there? in this house? And they're like, this is rough. <laughs> this is really rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode and this family. And, like, the images, we talked about this before we were recording, the images that uh, stuck with me. In the years since I watched this the first time, they're like pouring the milk through the letterbox and just Mm -hmm. the like him being locked out while they're all inside and crying. And he's the one who's like, I'll figure something out. And he's like 10. Yeah. And what is he going to be able to figure out? Nothing. Yeah. And he's clearly been taught not to go to the authorities. Yeah. Because his mother would be uh, afraid of that. It's just oof. Yeah. So, continuing on, speaking of Gary. Gary steals from a store and is taken to Peter to be arrested. 
Peter finds out about the sisters locked up, and they are rescued by the police and taken to be cleaned. They open the cleansing station with Sister Monica Joan, who recalls when they were always open. Trixie, Sister Monica Joan, and Sheila clean the children. Later, Trixie reveals how shaken she is while having a drink. Sister Monica Joan confronts Sister Evangelina about not going to the doctor. Barbara finds that Colette has had her milk come in and arranges that she'll deliver it to the hospital for her baby. Barbara uses her young person energy to do it all herself. (laughs) Gary and his sisters are taken to foster care. Trixie cries to Tom about how she relates to Gary and how he's coping. Their mother comes home to find the children gone and complains about the state of her living conditions. Trixie and Tom meet on the the dock. He proposes to her, and they are engaged. Sister Evangelina goes to see Sheila to arrange finally to see a doctor. And lastly, Gary and his sisters are sent to Australia with the Child Migrant Program, given promises that turn out not to be a happy ending after all. Let's talk about uh, Gary and his sisters last. Yes, please. Um, So why don't we start with Sister Evangelina and Barbara Mm -hmm. and Colette. Yeah. So Colette wants to feed her baby breast milk, but her baby is in the hospital in an incubator and she's in the maternity home. So Barbara you know, has lots of energy and lots of drive and is, uh, you know, fresh faced and young and is like, (laughs) well, we can do it. We can just, we can, she can express her milk and I can, we can deliver it to the hospital. And sister Evangelina, who's been there forever is like, and who's going to do that? We're down a midwife still and all this stuff. And she sees that Barbara does it all herself. And I think that is the main trigger for her going to the hospital is she realizes that she's lost all of that energy Mm. and that drive and that her patients will suffer because Colette is finding joy in Barbara going this extra mile. And I think you said earlier that like, uh, the previous, interaction you said that there was a turning point with sister evangelina and barbara and i'm not sure i agree that it happened back then Mm. i think sister evangelina is still pretty hard on (laughs) barbara well into this until barbara i think barbara like biking off to deliver things is the turning point yeah i think there's a couple of (laughs) moments but yeah you're right that is the main turning point where sister where where barbara is like going above and beyond and she has the mm-hmm. youthful energy other than that i'm not sure like as i said like this is a pretty straightforward plot like yeah. she's bringing this and it's most thematically connected to like the what we said before about what we the episode not we paul and jen what we showed before about breast versus formula and uh trying to uh support the mother in doing what she wants to and thinks is best for the baby and like Mm -hmm. that's all very good (laughs) Mm -hmm. i think that this plot with barbara and sister evangelina is very much this is the first episode of this season so uh we have the new character show up we have sister evangelina has a problem and that's kind of 
starting a through line that will go through the season. So that's kind of why I feel it was so straightforward and so not much of a plot is that this is starting something that is going to go episode to episode. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about Sister Evangelina and Sister Monica Joan? Here. Yeah. You said you thought seeing Barbara with her youthful energy is the thing that sparks Sister Evangelina to go to the doctor, but I think it's the conversation with Sister Monica Joan more than anything else mm. that yeah, I think it's her. I think it's both. Like it's yeah, but this like she goes. Sister Evangelina goes to the kitchen because she's feeling ill. And she finds Sister Monica Joan there toasting her own crumpets. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she says, there's rules about you and the gas. Uh, And uh, Sister Monica Joan notices that Sister Evangeline is in pain. Mm -hmm. And the way, what she says about it is like, uh, you will be denied your work as Mm -hmm. I've been denied mine by my fractured mind. Yeah. And I love, I really love the Sister Evangelina being like, you seem pretty sharp tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Until she sets the crumpets Until on fire. Until she sets the crumpets on fire. And it's like, Sister of, they these characters butt heads so often, but this moment of like, the thing that Sister Evangelina is most afraid of, like the thing that on the surface she's most afraid of is seeming weak, but what Sister Monica Joan recognizes Sister Evangelina is more afraid of and can motivate her appropriately. She's afraid of not being able to do the work. Mm-hmm. And sister, that's what like Sister Monica Jones says. You're gonna end up like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's both this moment of like real sympathy between them. Uh, that Sister Monica Joan recognizes who Sister Evangelina is. Mm-hmm. And who she is. And it really is like, we have moments of lucidity in Sister Monica Joan and moments of wisdom. And this is like, you seem pretty sharp tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but she has this self-awareness in this episode, in this incident, uh, more than she often does. Not only of her own kind of place in the world, but of her like why she's unable to do the work. She often, we see Sister Monica Joan, like, indignant. And even in this episode, mm-hmm. I can do the work. You believe me incompetent. You would, would deny me the chance to do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this moment in the kitchen, she's much more like, yeah, my fractured mind means I can't do the work. Yeah. You still can. So do something about that. I really like that that interaction very much. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could wrap up Sister Evangelina. She does go to the doctor. Yeah, she asked Sheila for a female doctor. And are you having woman problems? Very much so. Like, she finally admits that, like, I'm not just a little bit in pain. Like, it's a lot. Yeah. So Gary steals from the shop. Mm-hmm. Um, what he steals... Uh, Sergeant Noakes makes a joke about it. He steals rich tea biscuits. Do you know anything about... I mean, like, in tell from the picture, they're like... Crack the kind of cookies that are like coasters. You mm-hmm. must be starving to steal these. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ha ha, but no, literally he is. Yeah. But he says it's not even for him. It's for his sisters. They, he's like, I, I'm fine. It's, they cry. He says, I don't get hungry. Yeah. 
I don't get hungry. Because, uh, you know, it, you, it's, um, the point in which you're starving so much, you do, you do feel not hungry. And they've done a good job it for these child actors to make them look, you know, dirty and hungry and stuff, but they also can't do, they can't look as bad as they would look. Yeah. In this yeah. situation, which, for which I am. Yeah, I don't want to see them looking that bad. <laughs> they were pretty bad enough already. This is uh, the the police officers breaking in and finding the children is something that has definitely stuck with me over like all the episodes of Call the Midwife that I've watched. The fact the baby needs skin grafts is so haunting. The yeah. little girl is eating bisto, which is a uh, gravy powder. Yeah, which is something that still exists today. Yeah. It's just like, and, uh. Yeah, it's horrible. It's just... the worst thing, uh, so far on this show. Mm-hmm. For, to me, anyway. Yeah. Like. But the main thing that sticks out to me is there's this whole through of Trixie relates to Gary. Trixie mm-hmm. sees that he puts on a happy face and all this stuff, but she does the same thing. It's not in the past for her. Yeah continues she opens up the they open up this cleansing station to clean them and they she talks about it being like Videl Sassoon and Shea Trixie and she puts on the bravest uh face and all that and she is does exactly what she did when she was a child is she makes it feel like it's not real and Maybe that is what you need to do with children, and I think it is good that she's doing that, but it is, like, who else is going to do that but Trixie? We see Trixie's... I mean, we've seen it through the whole show. Like, Trixie puts on this super bright smile Mm -hmm. when things are grim. Yeah. And, like, it probably does make other people feel better. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make her feel better. Nope, sure doesn't. Uh, And I think... like. The beginning of this episode, we we didn't focus on it when we were talking about it then, and I didn't bring it up because I think it didn't matter then, but it matters now. When she uh, gives birth to this, or she delivers this baby in the car, mm-hmm. and the mother says, oh, she's blonde like you. Blondes have more fun, don't they? And Trixie looks down and she's kneeling in the woman's vomit. Yeah. And she puts on this super bright smile and it's like, yes, we do. I'm like, that's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's not always a terrible thing. Yeah. Uh, except for her. <laughs> like, it, that was nice in that moment to be able to smile. And it probably, even for her, doesn't, isn't always harmful. Mm-hmm. That she can, like, put on a brave face and get through it. But that, like, we see, I don't remember, is this the first we've really heard of Trixie's childhood? No, we no. heard it earlier in a... An episode where the boy, the man had PTSD from war. Right, 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 right. And she helped him through it because she understood it because her father had had that. Right. But yeah, we see, like, she relates so much to him because she uh, she sees herself in him, not mm-hmm. just in the past. That's such a good insight. Not just in the past, but in the present. It's, it's something right now. Mm-hmm. She says, like, one of these... One of several heartbreaking moments in this episode. 
He says to Tom, seeing you here reminds me I survived it. And others may not if we don't help. Mm-hmm. And they like, uh, Sergeant Oaks, when they break in, uh, this is not uh, that important. But he says, get the WPC. Do you know what that means? The woman police constable. Yeah. 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 So like, they need the woman to help with the kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, that's... Uh... Okay, so they wash them. Sister Monica Joan talks about how this cleansing station never closed back. I'm not sure exactly when, yeah. what years that would be in, but it would be, you know, before there was the National Health Service, before there was running water in the same way, when they would have to clean lice and things in a much more uh, on a grander scale. Yeah. But... And she says, Sister Monica Jones says, this won't shock me. Mm-hmm. And it's work I can do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like Sister Monica Joan a lot in this moment. Yeah. And she's also, while we're talking about Sister Monica Joan, mm-hmm. the like the girl who's eating Bisto, yeah. she has this package she won't give anyone. And Sister Monica Joan's so good with her. Mm-hmm. She has the like, this little thick guy needs hugs and love, but I'm afraid you won't be able to unless I hold that package for you. Yeah. And like, she's so good with her. Yep, she is. I love the, these moments of Sister Monica Joan showing why she like had a long yeah career, career as, a, as a midwife, that yeah. she has these skills still. Mm-hmm. She does. Uh, just briefly, Trixie and Tom get engaged. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think what we were saying about Trixie putting a brave face on and a bright smile on and that not necessarily, like, I don't know. Um, she is very smiley and happy and excited when she says yes, but she sure pauses a long time before she says yes. Yes. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. But I do like them but getting I do engaged. Like them. And being, They're so sweet together. so romantic. <laughs> he gives her a meringue. Yeah. That she then gives to Sister Monica Joan. No, I think she just leaves on the table. Oh, and Sister Monica Joan. Sister- <laughs> that is so exactly what happens. Oh, you're right. <laughs> because there's a moment early where Sister Monica Joan steals a cookie from Barbara's plate. Yeah. At the talk. I read that wrong. You're so right. Yeah, You're so just, right. Sister Monica Joan just steals it. Yeah. <laughs> it's classic Sister Monica Joan. <sighs> All right. So, oh, okay. So the children are sent to Australia. The baby gets adopted and stays, I assume, in Britain. But the three children are sent to Australia with what was called the Child Migrant Program. Or they also were called Australian Home Children. Mm-hmm. Um, just to talk about that for a minute. Uh, there's a lot about this kind of thing. Uh, they were sent to Canada as well. There was there was children sent to Canada to be home children. Uh, it was there is a quote that I read about it that just makes me want to uh, uh, be sick. But a key motivation for child migration was to maintain the racial unity of the empire and populate the dominions of Canada, Rhodesia, New Zealand, and Australia. With good white stock. Right. So it was to send children 
to be that there should be more white people in these countries that we have colonized, which is right. I, I mean, guess that's how colonization. It works. goes without saying, or not without saying, that that's horrible. But then, even worse than that, uh, these children were sent not to become someone else's child, not to be fostered, not to be adopted, but to work. That that was the reality of what happened is that these children became not members of people's families. They became slaves, essentially. Yeah. And so to end on this note that this family we've seen go through such horrible times then get sent to uh, a place where they will likely experience more horrible times. Uh, it's really heartbreaking. And I don't know if I can say any more without bursting into tears. It's one of the reasons why like this episode is really brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this ending is yeah. just such a kick in the gut. Yeah. Of, like We don't have very many separated. endings that are this bad. Like We have sadness on this show and loss and yeah. grief. But like... I think one of the things that makes this ending so especially brutal is that we see the kids all smilingly get onto the boat and the voiceover is like they were promised happiness and sunshine and freedom and the reality was not that. Mm-hmm. And just like, and that the ending, like what this show often, uh, a show like it, this show or a show like it, it has to like thread this needle between being maudlin and being saccharine. Yeah. Like on one hand, uh, the danger is like uh, everything turned out wonderful and ev- all families love each other really. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, that like life is nothing but suffering and the and this show can veer too far in either direction sometimes. Um, and this like. One of the things that makes this ending so brutal is that, like, the visuals are veer towards saccharine, but then the reality that we understand through the voiceover and through understanding context is, like, almost, is, like, really, really brutal. Yeah, exactly. And the... The voiceover, she says, uh, they hope gave them happiness Mm -hmm. for a while. Yeah. And back to the beginning, I think, like, there's an idea bookending this episode that I'd like to hear what you think about. Um, Because I think the idea that the voiceover says, the idea that bookends this episode is that uh happiness is still worthwhile even if it's fleeting that like their hope gave them happiness for a while and uh it didn't last but it's still worthwhile even if it was only for a while and in my emotional reaction to this episode is like is it Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh their happiness kind of makes things more painful for a viewer, anyway. Yeah. So what do you think about that? I think you're right that for the viewer, it doesn't make things happier. But I think for a human being, it does a little. Mm-hmm. But it just seems so hopeless. That it's, 
Yeah, it's upsetting. Their hope made them happy for a while, but we, the viewer, know that their hope is misplaced. Mm-hmm. And so that just makes that happiness so hollow. Mm-hmm. It is, like, an incredibly brutal episode. It is. It really is. Um, I have a link to some stuff about Australian home children that I think we could put in the show notes if people okay. are more interested in finding out more about it. Uh, so, on a happier note, what was your favorite part of this episode? <laughs> My, Besides the horror. <laughs> my favorite part was the conversation between Sister Monica Joan and Sister Evangelina mm, yeah. at night in the oven. No, in, <laughs> in the oven. In, around in the, the oven. oven. Um, I really I really liked that. And Sister Monica Joan generally in this episode. Like, this is really good Sister Monica Joan we're seeing. Mm-hmm. I think, I'd have to check, I haven't been paying attention, but I think that Heidi Thomas writes a really good Sister mm, Monica Joan. Especially, an right. especially good Sister Monica Joan. But like that that exchange and the like uh understanding and sympathy beneath their kind of uh headbutting clash of personalities mm-hmm. I really like. Yeah. How about you? What was your favorite part of this episode? <laughs> I think that uh favorite is hard to say, but the Washing the children scene mm. where uh, there's discussion we didn't even mention about where are they going to just shave their heads and they and Sheila and Trixie managed to go, no, they're not going to shave their heads. Trixie says there's nothing wrong with these kids heads that can't be solved with time yeah. and attention to detail. And we have plenty of the first and the second is free. Yeah, exactly. And so that's my... My favorite part is saying, like, giving them their dignity by not shaving their heads, I think is really important in this moment. And I think that that is my favorite part of this episode. If you (sighs) have things to say or just want to, like, send us some crying emojis after watching this horrible episode. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. See, this is not even horrible. It's just not a horrible episode. It makes me feel many, many feelings. Yeah. I, um, just to say it on mic, I very recently had a big loss in my family. We lost, I lost my father. And so I'm extra emotional about, like, literally everything. And so I think I might. In the next, if, over this season of Call the Midwife, maybe a little extra Jan is sad. <laughs> I remember, I don't remember, other than this episode, I don't remember specifically why, but I remember f- this season of Call the Midwife and talking to each other about, like, this season of Call the Midwife is especially rough. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it is. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if that's true going yep, forward. We will. Uh, this episode was especially rough, not just because of your personal tenderness. Yeah. All right. So uh, if you want to get in touch with us, yeah, send us some crying emojis or just chat or whatever. Say whatever your thoughts are on Call the Midwife. Uh, you can do that on Twitter. We are at Poplar Opinion. You can email us, poplaropinion at clockworksacademy.com.com. Yep. Yep. You can... Uh, uh, send us uh, a 
I don't know what else, a pigeon? Uh, <laughs> you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash clockworkscast to support our endeavors and hopefully help us to record a little more often if we have more support. I don't know. We'll see. That helps with the emotions. It definitely helps with the emotions. <laughs> it would be very appreciated. It would help our emotions because we would be happy. There you go. <laughs> All right. So uh, I've been Jan Moffat. I've been po- Dr. Paul Moffat. Do I say doctor at the end? of I say it at the start. I've been Paul Moffat. Whether I'm a doctor or not is irrelevant and I'm not that kind. And that's the end of me. <laughs> and that's just my popular opinion. Thank you.